this is our reach out, you know, to law enforcement, the private sector, but also to our citizens. These crimes are occurring every single day, every single minute. We don't want to see people fall victim to these things. So the more we educate, the more we learn about it, the better shot you have of avoiding these pitfalls. Introducing the Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Carroll, International President of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. I'm with Mark Solomon, our International Vice President. Welcome to today's podcast. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great, Mike. How are you, sir? Doing really good, really good. Hey, we just had our 29th episode with uh, Jose Mendez, local guy here in Chicago with Skokie Police Department on that ruse burglary. We got a lot of feedback on that. That seems to be a very, very popular crime that's going around nationwide. Yeah, it was. And, you know, he was so great in explaining what this crime is and then really giving some great techniques of how to prevent this from happening to you. So it was just a great episode, and we hope all of our listeners enjoyed it. Yeah, you know, Mark, I've been thinking, you know, we just had, that was our 29th episode. We're ready to do another episode today, and I'm uh, just looking back, and uh, we've been on for over a year, right? Going back to September of last year? It is. That's when this journey began, and uh, like I said, we're happy to announce that viewership is way up. You know, we want to thank Modified Media for all the hard work that they're doing to make this uh, podcast successful, and what makes this podcast are our listeners. So thanks for being a part of this, and we hope you're gaining some great uh, knowledge about how to not fall victim to frauds and scams. Yeah, same here, Mark. Got to put kudos to Modified Media. I mean, I'm in Chicago, right? You're You're in Connecticut. When we do these podcasts, it sounds like we're in the same room, doesn't it? It does. It does, even though we're uh, halfway across the country. So uh, so kudos to them for this uh, great work that they're doing. Hey, Mark, I just want to mention, you know, this is kind of new for me, this podcast. Uh, I'm always learning, you know, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm really excited that we're going to be continuing the podcast through 2023. And now we're getting individuals calling us wanting to come on our podcast and talk about scams and frauds that they're aware of that they want to get out to the public. So that is great. Yeah, we must be doing something right if they're calling us now to come on. So uh, when we first started, we were you know reaching out to people to ask them to come on and talk about various topics. Now, with our audience support and, and the popularity of the podcast, we're getting people saying, hey, can we come on? And we have a great topic to talk and educate the public about. So. Yeah, Mark, I'm trying to get rid of this Chicago accent, but I don't think I'm going to get rid of it. I might have to get yeah. some teeth work done or something, but uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? But uh, thank you to our listeners. It's been a, a great experience for both of us. Hey, Mark, what are we going to be talking about today? Actually, Mike, it's going to be you and I bantering back and forth a little bit about uh, what we call account takeovers. And uh, I'm really excited about this. Uh, you know, both of us in our professions have dealt with these type of crimes and and they're increasing significantly. I just saw an article the other day that account takeovers were up over 103% over the last several months. So uh, we're seeing it in the financial institutions, law enforcement seeing it by all the increased reports they're getting. So we're going to talk a little bit about what an account takeover is, how the fraudsters commit it, and then what you can do to try and stop these attacks from happening to you. 
You know, Mark, I got involved with the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. You know, I was a postal inspector for 29 years. And, you know, relating to identity theft, account takeovers was a big problem, uh, getting somebody's information and changing the address. Yeah, and it's really developed, you know, uh, those old school methods of changing an address, having stuff shipped to a, a third party address so they could get the proceeds. And But now we're seeing a lot of this high tech with everything being on the Internet, uh, banks, financial institutions, being able to do transactions online. We're really seeing a branching out of this traditional account takeovers and I'm looking forward to kind of educating our listeners about this today. Yeah, Mark, I was thinking, you know, what is an account takeover? And I was on the internet kind of coming up with a, a definition, and I found a good one out on, the, on one of our financial institutions, and they said account takeover occurs when the perpetrator not only illegally obtains personal identifying information like date of birth, social security number, mother's maiden name of a true individual, but also has access to their accounts for the purpose of financial gain. And, yeah. you know, access to an individual's accounts includes banking and credit card accounts, uh, social media, e-commerce, uh, emails, or even reward points. Yeah, it's amazing uh, how many different avenues the fraudster has to, to go after and use your personal identifying information. You know, I've been teaching for years in the public about identity theft. And, you know, there's two basic categories of identity theft. One we call is true name fraud. And that's where the, where the fraudster gets your personal identifying information and opens or creates an account that you did not open. And they're able to commit fraud by opening that account and impersonating you. When it comes to account takeover now, that's the second type of uh, identity theft fraud. And that's where they're using your information to attack your existing accounts. So the accounts that you did legitimately open they're impersonating you and taking over and manipulating that account to commit fraud. So hopefully our listeners, we just gave them a little education on the two types of identity uh, fraud that we see. Hey, Mark, you asked before how people's personal information is being used to conduct account takeovers. Unfortunately, maybe a dishonest employee that works at a financial institution or retail store where they might be able to steal somebody's personal information. But there's other ways. Sometimes somebody might get an email or a phone call or a text, and how does that come into play? Yeah, you know, the reality is is a lot of times the victim gives away their personal identifying information unknowingly. Um, they think it's for legitimate reasons. So I'm sure everybody's gotten an email or a pop-up on their computer or a phone call from somebody claiming to be a representative of a financial institution or an organization you know, there's a problem with your account, but we need to verify your information first. And, you know, we call that phishing. You know, uh, when it's done over the phone, it's called vishing. And then when it's done through text messages, we call that smishing. A lot of times the victim actually gives that information directly to the fraudster. Right. Um, you know, believing that they're representing uh, a financial institution or a company. So a lot of times it's really because of the victim providing that information, they're now able to attack their accounts. Right. Mark, I get that all the time. And I think the main thing is, I don't think a financial institution is going to get a hold of you via text or email asking you to provide your account number to them or your personal yeah. information, right? That's a great point, uh, Mike. Usually yeah. it comes by, uh, usually it comes in the mail, actually. You get a letter that there's a problem with your account to call your financial institution. But yeah, it just I would avoid giving anything over the internet or via text, personal or account information to your financial institution. 
Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit later in the show about that and really what people can do to prevent that from happening. So, Mike, I wanted to ask you, once the bad guy gets your personal information and maybe they've done some research or have some information as to where your bank accounts or credit card accounts or store accounts are, how do they start the process of taking over that account? Right. I think the main thing is they want to change the address to an address that the fraudster controls for the purpose of possibly getting your bank statements or your credit card statements, ordering a new credit card in your name, even ordering checks in your name and in your your account name. So they need an address that they control. So they have to change the address. And most of the times it's done via the internet. They're contacting their bank, knowing the account holder's name, date of birth, social security number, address, mother's maiden name. They have all that information. And then they request a change of the address or they'll call in. Um, The old days was a fax or even a letter Mm -hmm. to their financial institution saying, I need to change the address. You're not going to start talking about eight tracks, are you, Mike? No, but uh, all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how they do. That's how they change the address. So they they change the address to an address that they control. And I will tell you this, and it's most of the time it's the financial institution, unfortunately, or the card issuer, credit card company, that they're calling to change the address. And I just want to give kudos to the U.S. Postal Service. Because if you put an address change to the U.S. Postal Service, whether it's online or through going into the post office and changing your address, what the Postal Service does is sends out a change of address letter to confirm. It's like a confirmation letter. They're going to send it to your old address and send it to your new address. And every year, 40 million people in the country, United States, move. So we're sending out 80 million letters just to verify to protect the citizens postal customers, because if you did not move and you get this letter saying, hey, we're just verifying your new address, well, wait a minute, I never moved, then there's an 800 number you can call, and that's where the inspection service comes in, and they'll investigate it. And uh, I think that's a really good customer service that the postal service offers just to verify uh, that you actually did move. And then if you did move, you'll get the letter at your new address and just verify and you move, and if you did, you could just discard this letter. So I got to give them kudos. So, Mike, are you putting postage on those 80 million uh, letters? Or? Uh, it's postage-free. Oh, nice. That's a nice deal, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, all right. Um, hey, Mike, a- another thing I wanted to point out is, you know, so these bad guys got your information. A lot of times they're calling up the financial institution or retail or um, credit card company. And you know, like I said, they're now manipulating their information. They're changing their address. Do they change anything else on the accounts as well? Do you see activity like that beyond the address? Just like changing the address to an address that they control, they'll also change like the email or a phone number that they have, that the fraudster has, that they control. Uh, Why do you think they do that? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why is because, you know, financial institutions, uh, when somebody calls into them, they're going to want to validate who this person is to show it's the true account holder. So the more information that they could get uh, from the victim, but then also be able to change that on the account because later on when they call up again, now they have the correct phone that's calling in. They have the correct email if there's a, a validation code that's sent to an email address. So it's really to try and bypass the authentication procedures of financial and retail institutions. So let's say the fraudster is able 
get a hold of a victim's information, their account information. They change the address to an address that they control. When they divert the address, a lot of times, based on my you know prior investigations as a postal inspector, they like to use these commercial mail receiving agencies. Those are those those uh, private mailbox services. Uh, they like that a lot because of the 24-hour access. Or if they change the address, they might just pay their friends or relatives to receive mail at an address for them. Other ways, they like vacant houses or apartments. Uh, or they might even go out of their way and rent an apartment just to get their name on the mailbox. I had a case in the past where they were using vacant apartments in the Chicago area for account takeovers. And I learned that uh, at that time, local realtors, when we wanted to look at an apartment, they just asked them for an ID. Most of the time, it was a fraudulent ID. And then they would provide the person that's going to go look at the apartment. They give them a key to the front door, key to the apartment, and key to the mailbox. And what the fraudsters were doing, they were copying these keys and then returned the originals, and now they got access. Mm. And they only wanted to do that just for access to the mailbox. And then right. what they did is on that mailbox, they put all the victims' names on there, and hopefully the credit cards or checks or whatever they ordered would be delivered to that address. Yeah. It's funny, Mike, when you talk about account takeovers, there's just so many different ways to commit it to, uh, you know, right now we're focusing on delivery to, you know, fraudulent addresses or CMRA addresses, like you said, but these individuals don't necessarily have to have something shipped to an address. They could just go into a financial institution, make up a counterfeit ID with your personal identifying information, knowing you have an account there. They can do an over-the-counter withdrawal. They could also do uh, a transfer of funds from your bank account uh, online. So, yeah, there are many instances where they're using addresses to have stuff delivered. Maybe it's the card. Maybe it's merchandise. But with today's technology, this could all be done online within minutes or do customer impersonations at financial institutions and retail businesses. So. Yeah, Mark, you're right. You know, sometimes you don't need to change the address. You can order a card in somebody's name, you know, and uh, just wait there for it to be delivered. Maybe it's a curbside mailbox and you got an idea. You could call the card issuer, hey, when's the card coming out? It'll be shipped today. And then just wait for the letter carrier. Once he makes that delivery, come back, come right behind him and reach in there and grab it. So, yeah, you're right. Sometimes you don't need to change the address. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. I remember a case I worked a couple of years back in law enforcement where they, they are having difficulty having the address changed, the fraudster was. So they had the merchandise shipped actually to the victim's house, and they waited down the street and met the the delivery guy uh, for, for the package before they made it up the driveway. So, Hey, Mark, you mentioned earlier about when we were talking about account takeovers and having the victim's PII, name, date of birth, social security number. But we also talked about not only that, but getting their email address and their phone number. Maybe for our listeners, can you explain how they go about getting their phone number and how important that phone number is? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, I want people to know I, I was in law enforcement for 26 years and now work for a financial institution. And seeing it from a financial institution perspective, banks and, and retail card companies and retailers are doing a tremendous job trying to prevent these from happening. Um, they have so many sophisticated tools, use the latest technology to try and weed out these fraudsters so they don't attack your account. But just like anybody, these criminals are very persistent and they will leverage whatever they can to try and trick 
you know, the financial institutions or retail businesses to think it's the legitimate customer. So, Mike, you brought up the phone and the email address. What we see often is a, a hijacking of that email or their phone number because those are one of the potential authenticators to prove that this is the true customer. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, we're seeing anything from phone spoofing where I can use an app and, and make it look like I'm calling truly from the, the cardholder's phone number when I'm not. Another sophisticated method is what we call SIM swapping. And this is where they either are working with a collusive employee at a, at a phone business or they've duped the employees or that phone company into believing that I am really that customer. And what they do is they'll say, hey, my phone broke or I, uh, you know, uh, it's not working anymore. Um, can you transfer that SIM information and that data that's contained in there to another phone? So either the person is unknowingly doing this or they're involved in the scheme. And then what happens is the actual cardholder's phone stops working once that transfer, that SIM swap occurs. And now the fraudster has actual control of a phone that is registered to the cardholder's phone number. And that's what we call SIM swapping. So for every type of measure financial institutions, retailers put in, the fraudsters are trying to circumvent those uh, security features to pretend that they are the true customer. Yeah, Mark, I see that a lot, even on my own personal, uh, when I want to check my account or the balance, there's that two... Multi-factor authentication, one of my favorite words. And uh, and again, it's about something that you have is the first authenticator, and then something that you know is the second authenticator. There's actually a third authenticator, and, and we call that the uh, tri-authentication, is that uh, we're now, a lot of financial institutions and, and retailers are using biometrics as a third. So it could be uh, your face, it could be a fingerprint, you know. So the more authenticators we could put a caller through to verify who they are is the safest way to prevent an account takeover from happening. But you also have to balance that with customer convenience. So we don't want to make it so difficult that the customer doesn't want to do business with that financial institution or, or retailer. So it's a balance. Yeah, there's a fourth type with my uh, financial institution. They're pretty tough because when I call up, they're like, all right, pick a number one to 10. I'll go seven. They'll go, no, it's nine. And they hang up on me. Darn. <laughs> so I got to keep no, on calling no, back no. until I can pick out the right number. Oh, my God. That's not but authentication. The, <laughs> <laughs> but you're right when you say, you know, having control of that phone number because they want to verify who you are. They're going to contact you by text, your phone number, and then they're going to have to put in that password or that four-digit code or five-digit. So... That's the fraudster doing that now. Now they're going to activate the card. They're going to change the address for you. Yeah. So that is a big key, that phone number. Yeah, and the the digital world that we live in now and, and, and customer convenience. You know, it used to be if you wanted to do a transaction, you go to your bank, you know. Now you could do it online. You could do it on your computer. You could do it on your phone. So those emails, those phone numbers are very important to the fraudster to try and either imitate or take over to go through the authentication process. So what you're saying, Mark, to protect yourself from being a victim of identity theft, just have bad credit, right? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we see even people with bad credit become victims Nobody of identity theft. I think uh, I'm, I'm case in point. I've been a victim four times where my card has been compromised and, 
And, and like I said, you know, in my situation, it was that I used my card at businesses where there was a network intrusion. And you can't walk into a store and know that somebody's uh, point of sale terminal or system has been hacked. So, like I said, you could do everything right and still become a victim like I have. And, and Mike, I think we actually have a special guest uh, who's got something to share as well. Yeah, Mark, because I was going to bring up another issue with, you know, these types of cases involving account takeover is jurisdiction. So your victim might live in one state and they change the address to another state, and then the fraud occurs in the third state. So trying to find out where the jurisdiction is for prosecution is tough. And, you know, talking about this, I have a friend on the line here, one of our listeners, one of our million listeners to the podcast. His name is Chris, and uh, he's got the same type of story involving account takeover of his accounts. And uh, I asked him if he could come on and talk about it and tell exactly what happened to him. Hey, Chris, are you there? I certainly am. Hi, guys. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. You know, we talked last week. You were telling me about you were out of state on vacation and uh, you got an alert, which is great. The alert from your financial institution that something's not right. There's something with your account. You need to make that phone call. Can you talk about that and how you became a victim of uh, identity theft and fraud? Yeah, like you said, I was on vacation and just a few hours into my first day, I got that alert through text message from my bank saying that there was some fraud on my account. I didn't think much of it because a lot of times when you travel out of state, you start making a few purchases on your debit card and the bank says, hey, let's make sure that this guy is, in fact, traveling. I didn't think it was a big deal. Um, but in fact, they told me when I called the number they told me to call that somebody had gotten hold of my username and my password to my online backing and had full access to my accounts. And they had informed me that they tried to I'm from Florida. Originally, they tried to make a four thousand dollar withdrawal from a branch in North Carolina, when they were unsuccessful, they went back online and tried to move the money uh, amongst my different accounts and tried to use the the Zelle, which is obviously Venmo or PayPal. They tried to Zelle the money out to themselves. And fortunately, they were unsuccessful. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I live in Florida, I'm in Louisiana, and I find out there's fraud taking place in North Carolina. So yeah, it was confusing. And uh, it was it was scary because at the time, I again, I was on vacation. All my accounts were completely shut down, all my debit cards, everything had to be closed. Wow. Chris, how did that make you feel? Um, you know, here you're on vacation, so it was supposed to have a good time, and then you, you get this message and find out somebody tried to take over your account, thank God, not successfully. But did it cause any panic or fear, you know, for your other accounts or other information that might be out there? Well, it did, yeah, because I've got a few accounts within the one, you know, with the one banking institution for starters, and they're linked together. And then I'm thinking, you know, I got a credit card in my wallet here because I'm on vacation. My wife has got two credit cards in her wallet. So, yeah, I was worried about that. And of course, just being on you know vacation and thinking, well, I, I, nobody travels with that much cash anymore, so I didn't have much cash on me. I planned on using my debit card and ATM, so there was that mm -hmm. to deal with. The first day of vacation, I'm only five hours in, so there was that to deal with too. So yeah, I'm, I've got credit cards, and I was, I was very concerned, absolutely. Yeah, Chris, kudos to your financial institution for notifying you because that allowed you to reach out to the three credit bureaus, right, to put an alert on there. And, and stop additional fraud from occurring just based on your financial institution getting out to you in a timely manner. Correct, because they said there's a possibility somebody could try to take a mortgage out in my name or right. 
uh, you know, take a, 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 you know, another credit card, a line of credit, uh, home equity loan, anything could happen. So, yeah, we reached out to TransUnion and the two other big names, Equifax and Equian, if I'm not mistaken, are the three big names. Equifax, TransUnion and Experian. Hey, Chris, by contacting the three major credit bureaus um, and getting a copy of your credit report, you can review that and you could see if there's any other accounts open in your name. In fact, you need to look in the inquiry section down at the bottom because if there's an attempt, that'll be posted there. So you might want to contact them, too, if there's an attempt, like if you'll see something from a major credit card company, there was an inquiry within the last two weeks or something, you would, whoa, I didn't do that. So you might want to contact them and let them know. But you put that alert on there, right? So nobody could get credit in your name with that alert unless they contact you first. Or I don't know if you looked into that, I got the credit freeze. There used to be like a $5 charge for that, but you could put a freeze on your bureaus. And not only no one else can get credit in your name, but you can't either unless you contact them again and unlock that freeze. Yeah, so there's two types of actions you could take if you're a victim of an account takeover. One is what we call monitoring or credit monitoring, which all the the credit bureaus are willing to uh, provide. In this case, uh, where they have not only your account information, but your date of birth, social security number, that's where you're going to want to put that freeze on. Uh, Because what that does is that prevents anybody from using your personal information to open up any new account. So basically, they'll be prevented. What it doesn't protect you against is the fraudster still trying to attack the accounts that are already open. So even though Chris did the right thing by putting that freeze on, you still got to check your monthly statements, monitor transactions on that account. Even though they shut that one down, the new one they opened up for him could be attacked again because all of his personal identifying information is still the same. So, Chris, keep an eye on your accounts, even though you did everything right. There's one other thing that we need to bring up to our audience is very important here. Is I know, Chris, you said that you actually got contacted. Was it by text message? Um, There's a text message that came in. So there are a lot of scammers out here that will trick you into believing that text came from your financial institution. And then you call that phone number or respond to that text, and that's how they fish and get your information. So luckily in this case, that wasn't the case. It was really the financial institution. But for our listeners, it's very critical, and we're going to talk about ways to prevent this. Do not respond to that text or call the phone number that shows up. Look on your monthly statement. Look on the back of your credit or debit card and call them because it could be a scam where they're making you think your account was attacked. But in this case, it really did happen. So that was great work by the bank and and quick reaction by Chris. Hey, I got to give kudos to Chris on one more thing that he mentioned. He's out on vacation. Now, maybe he's only got one credit card because he's got bad credit. I don't know. We will talk to Chris (laughs) about that later. But if you're on vacation, that's what you need to do. Just take the credit card you plan on using. Don't take a wallet or a purse full of credit cards because if your purse or wallet gets stolen, all those credit cards are out there. So only take when you're on vacation the credit card or the cards that you plan on using. So thanks, Chris. And better yet, I keep uh, one of Mike's cards, and I just take that on me when we go on vacation, so I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, with like a $100 balance, that's all I got. (laughs) Tell me about it. 
So um, we're talking now, I think this is a great time to really move into prevention. How do I prevent this? And and there's no way to 100% prevent this type of activity from happening, but there are definitely some great things that you can do to minimize your chances of having an account takeover. Mike, I'm going to kick things off for you. What are, what are some of the things our listeners should do to make sure uh, or limit that exposure? You know, Empty your wallet of extra credit card or debit cards because if it's stolen, somebody not only will use those cards, but they'll change the address and order more cards in your name. So you want to do that. Protect your accounts by adding pins and passwords. Never give your personal information out unless you initiated the contact. I like that yeah. one. That's a good Bingo. one. And I got these all written on my hand. These are good. Um, get a shredder. You know, there's still dumpster divers out there going through the dumpsters, you know, shred everything. You get pre-approved credit applications in the mail, bills, any other financial information you get, shred it. All great advice, Mike. I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, in Chris's case, his financial institution allowed him to get alerts if there's a transaction occurring. So check with your financial institution. A lot of them offer this. So anytime there's a, like you said, Mike, a change of address, you were mentioning it before, a phone number change, uh, you know, or a transaction, you could get alerted right away. You might be able to not stop that first fraudulent transaction. But just like Chris did, he acted quickly and was able to prevent further fraud. Um, Mike, you mentioned uh, the the credit bureaus, too. And and even if you're not a victim, what can you get from the credit bureaus to monitor your accounts? Well, you could get a free one. You don't have to pay for it. You know, once a year, you could contact the three majors and, you know, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. And I think one or maybe all three offer a service. I think there might be a fee involved that if there's any activity, right, on your credit bureau, they will notify you right away. I think that is out there, but I think there's a little cost involved. But that's something you might want to look into. Yeah, and I think uh, if you're a victim, they, they will offer that service for free where there might be or may not. It depends on the state, too. On uh, Some of the credit freezes, there there might be a cost uh, involved. Um, I know for uh, seniors, there's usually no cost for a credit freeze to lock down your information. But yeah, you know, like I said, we don't want our listeners living in fear, being afraid to, you know, that their account's going to be compromised any second. But, you know, vigilance is good. Keeping an eye on your account, checking your monthly statements, going online and, and checking to make sure there's no suspicious transactions. And Mike, can you tell us what a test transaction is? Yep. The bad guy, the fraudster wants to test a card before they actually make a major purchase. So they might yeah. go to a gas pump and do like a $2 charge or go into a store and do a real minimum charge just to see if the card is good. Yep. And then once they find out that card is good, now they're out making a large cash advance or buying some electronics, you know, and using the card until they get to the max as quick as they can. Yeah, and that that should be a key for a customer that sees a very small transaction that they know they didn't make. And not only can they go to a gas station or, or a store, but they could test these online at online retailers. So you see that charge, that's a dead giveaway that there's probably something bad going to happen to your account worse than that $1 charge. So, you know, to react quickly on that, shut the account down and, um, you know, get a new card issued is, is the best steps right there. So great advice, Mike. Hey, Mark, if you don't mind, I got a little plug for the postal service and the inspection service that I work for. Of course. You know, something that... <laughs> <laughs> You want your mail this Christmas? Because uh, I, I can get it. I could get it cut off. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what's very uh, helpful that the postal service offers? I don't know if you heard of informed delivery. 
I think that's a great service for the public. So you could sign up for informed delivery, and then every morning around 8.30 a.m., you're going to get copies of the mail and packages you're going to receive for that day. I think that's a good service that they offer. Plus, we would also ask, you know, remove your mail promptly from your mailbox. Don't leave it overnight because then the fraudster or mail thief can get in there and steal it. So just some mail tips, that's all. Yeah, no, that's great advice, Mike. And and like I said, the more we could educate our listeners, less chance you have of being a victim. And that, that makes us all happy. So great advice. And uh, so, Mike, hey, another great uh, podcast episode. We hope our audience enjoyed this and got some valuable information on how to protect yourself and limit your exposure of an account takeover. Man, we got to thank Chris for coming on to the show. He was awesome and really share his personal experience of what happened and then uh, the corrective actions that he took to protect himself. And, you know, we have one note for Chris before we go is, you know, just because this stopped, it might continue again because these bad guys might have your personal identifying information and may try again. So be vigilant, stay on top of your accounts, monitor that activity, and, uh, you know, that's the best thing you could do going forward. Yeah, Mark, uh, do we have to give Chris any residuals for coming on? Um, we have, like, an IFCI pen we could send him. Yeah, we, we should get him a Protectors Podcast jersey, I'm thinking. Or a mug. Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, you know, Mark, I like Chris coming on, a personal experience, and we'd like to get more of our listeners to come on, right? So if you're a victim of, of a scam or a fraud and you want to share your experience, or if you're in law enforcement and you have a great case involving somebody that you've identified or arrested involved in these types of scams, please let us know. And Mark, you mentioned too, we're going to put in the show notes, Mike's top five ways to protect yourself from being a victim of identity theft slash account takeovers, right? We want to get that out to our listeners because there's so much you can do. You know, we, we forgot to mention about changing your password, right? Oh, yeah. You know, you, know, you don't want to use that uh, pass one, two, three, four that everybody uses. Oh, uh, why not? You shouldn't use one, Mike, one two, three, Mike, four? Mike, Oops. Please, t- please tell me it's not your password. No, it's one, two, three, four, five. Five. Okay, great. Okay, nobody will figure that out. But uh, no, you're right, Mike. And and you know what? The podcast is just a part of this. On our show notes, we're going to have the three major credit bureaus website, uh, the Federal Trade Commission's website, which is really if you want to learn more and more about identity theft and account takeover and what to do if you're a victim, that is just a great resource. That's www.ftc.gov. And Mike, we do want to hear from our listeners. I'm happy to announce that we have an email address set up for our podcast so if you want to send us some comments or a topic you want to hear and learn about all you got to do is send an email to iafci protectors podcast at gmail.com and uh, you know send mike and i a note and what's one other thing we want our, our listeners to do mike sign up and listen to our podcast right go to spotify yeah, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, but make sure you subscribe with us. Be a follower of our podcast. Spread the word out to others. You know, and like I said, we'd love to get your comments. This show is for you guys, so we want to make sure we're giving you the best information to arm yourself to combat fraud, financial, and cyber crimes, and most importantly, not be a victim. 
Yeah, you know, Mark, when we started the show, I was a little hesitant. You know, I'm not a professional speaker. I can only go based on my experience and knowledge. So I hope that's helpful to our listeners. But our goal when we started was to provide education and training to our IFCI members, right? But also to the public. That's the key. We got to get the word out. There's so much fraud and scams, especially against our elderly that's going on right now. And if this is just one avenue, maybe a small one where we could get the word out on all these different types of scams and frauds to protect people from being victims. Hey, I'm all for this. I hope we continue. We are going to continue these podcasts into 2023. We got a lot of great guests coming on in the future, and hopefully we'll be able to help our citizens. Yeah, Mike, it's been a great partnership working with you. Like I said, I've known you for many years, and now to be able to uh, get together on weeknights and weekends and, and produce some podcasts and modified media and really educate the public. Tune into the next podcast, and until then, this is Mark Solomon signing off. And this is Mike Carroll. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors. Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.